Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today's guest is an inspiration to many. I found Katrina Woods through Facebook and started following her adventures throughout Ireland with great interest. Katrina started paddling as a reaction to disappointing news, and from day one, she sought the support of quality coaching, and that, along with determination and some really good friends, have led her to some great life experiences. She brings an incredible message of learning and growing through paddle sports to today's episode, which I am sure you will enjoy. Before we get to our chat with Katrina, OnlineSeaKayaking.com continues to innovate. Their latest innovation is a series on sea kayak coaching, which fits perfectly with Katrina's message and is just another masterpiece from James and Simon. If you're not already a subscriber, here's your opportunity to get started. Visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com and use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. Level 6 also continues to be a great supporter of Paddling the Blue, and we have a special offer just for you. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other kit, visit their website at level6.com and use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your order. Enjoy today's episode with Katrina Woods. Hello, Katrina. Welcome to Paddling the Blue. Hello, John. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's been a while. We've we've been trying to connect for for quite some time now, and it's I'm really pleased that we're finally able to get together. So I've been following your adventures on Facebook for quite a while, as many have, and it's wonderful to get a chance to talk to you today. And for you, so many of my guests started paddling at a very early age, but you started through a different time and an interesting turn of events. So tell us a little bit about your start. Mm, I definitely was a bit of a mature starter, so I'm probably only paddling well since 2008 um so i used to be a ballroom dancer and that would have been my passion i would have danced three or four nights a week um but i broke my ankle trying to uh surfboard jumping off a board into a hole in the sand and that kind of ended my days they didn't pick up what was broken so it never had a plaster of paris on it so yeah, so when I went back to the hospital to get it checked, they asked me if I had removed the plaster myself to inform them that no, I never actually had one on. And then when I left the, when I left the hospital that day, I was quite frustrated, you know, it was, that's the end of me dancing and what am I going to do? And there was this car in front of me that was kind of irritating me. It was, I was, suppose I was a bit frustrated at the time and it just seemed to be going slow and it seemed to be taking every road that I was taking. And then eventually I just thought, right, okay, leave the car alone, forget about it. And then I seen the two kayaks on the roof and I thought, well, okay, I could give that a try. And that was it. So I'm paddling, <laughs> I'm paddling ever since. I, I followed the car. They pulled into a car park. It's literally a few hundred, hundred yards down from my house and they meet there every week and went paddling. So that was Donegal Canoe Club. So I joined them and that was really the start. And I kind of never really looked back. I went off, like, that week I went off and bought... My son, coincidentally, had actually joined kayaking in his school just in those couple of weeks as well. So I went off and I bought two boats and two buoyancies. I didn't have a clue what I was buying, like, you know, <laughs> just... They were new, so there was no holes in them. Um, and, that, and that was it. I never looked back. The club, like, club's an excellent place to start for anyone. Um, yeah. I can remember the first night out with them. It was just a, it was actually, it was a wee crossing when I think about it. It's a place called Rathmullen over to Inch Island. 
And I was in this this long red boat and I could not get it to go straight and everybody else was going straight. And there was this guy, Davy Leonard, and he just had the patience of a saint that night with me because he just stayed with me. I think he actually put a stick or something at the back of my boat to try and get me to go straight because everyone else was going straight. But <laughs> I was kind of taking the snake's path. So, yeah, it was... It was an interesting start, but I've never looked back. All right. So from that moment, when you saw the boat or saw, saw the car with the with the boats on the roof, out of curiosity, did you end up meeting those people as well? Well, I actually followed them, and they they parked the car, and I thought, right, there was a few other cars there with boats on. I thought, right, I can't really butt in and stop now. So I drove past, but I only went as far as the roundabout, went round the roundabout, and came back and just say, okay, how do you do this, folks? And. Um, <laughs> They, they couldn't take me that night because they had no gear with them, but then I joined them the following Wednesday night, and that was it. They don't actually run as kind of like... They still have a few members, I think, in the club, but they don't run anymore. But it was a great, great club to start off. Everybody was so patient. Everybody was so encouraging. And, you know, it didn't matter how slow a learner you were. They just helped you along. It was brilliant. Good. Now, uh, from the uh, from the time that you first paddled with that group that on that day... Uh, how long from then did you buy your first boat? Uh, I actually bought it before I paddled. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, so I met them. It was a Wednesday. I met them in this car park that Wednesday, and I was to join them the following Wednesday. And there was a little fishing shop in the town when I was driving into work the next day. They had two kayaks sitting out front. <laughs> so so I went in and I it's not that I had money I didn't have money but they were reasonable and I thought you know what these will last me a long time and that was it and, and it was lucky because they were actually two decent boats Good. That, that I bought so yeah so that was myself and my son started properly paddling from that point onwards wow and then there was there was others in the club like I can remember there's Paul Reed and Cal Hearn as well I mean they were just instrumental in just keeping me at it and they were river paddlers and, and very interested in just fun in white water. And like, it didn't matter how many times I swam, they just picked me up and put me back in my boat. <laughs> you know? Now, do you still have those boats today? No, we sold them, but the person that I sold my boat to has agreed to sell it back to me. Ah. Because I do want, yeah. There's always it something. Was called the, yeah, it was called the wild thing, and I think it kind of suited me. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, she has agreed to sell it back to me. All right. There's always something special about your first boat. There is, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned club involvement. And uh, I know that you've had quite a bit of involvement with, with clubs and, and have uh, felt clubs have been a really great development point. Now, tell us a little bit about your club involvement. Well, as I say, I started off with Donegal Canoe Club. But what I kind of found was I was a slow learner. Like, definitely, it didn't come naturally to me. So I joined lots of clubs just to get out loads but as well what I found in different clubs you had you know different groups of people who liked different types of paddling be it you know lake paddling or coastal paddling or river paddling or surf paddling like clubs depending on whether they're they're a big club or a small club they tend to have like a niche of what they specialize in mm -hmm. so my earlier days was very much river paddling and if the local club wasn't going out then I would join another club because they might have more people and they might be going out. Uh, so there was Lisbon paddlers, like I would have enjoyed them, and they were great for bringing on the river paddling. So, yeah, I'd recommend clubs to, to anyone. My current club, well, I'm not actually a member at the minute, but the, the one that I've been a member of probably the most is Belfast Kayak Club, 
that's quite a large club it's a, it's a good three hours drive for me so like it does take commitment to join and and this last two years I'm, I'm kind of back at college so I haven't been able to but they would do a lot of training events you know trying out different boats they've just got so many skills and so many facilities that you know it's great now you said you started uh, river paddling that was kind of your first mm. was that a function of the club and that's what the club focused on yeah very much so mainly lads there was some girls in it but there was mainly lads and the lads were the ones that tend to wanted to progress and it tended to be rivers that they went to and what I kind of found was that when you start off I'm not different because some women get onto it really quick Mm -hmm. but I do think that sometimes women need more repetition whereas men can rely on brute force women kind of perfect their skill and, sure. and their technique and so I find I would I would be very slow like say if, if myself and a guy joined or tried to do something at the same time it would take me 10 times longer to perfect it than it would him so for that reason it took me longer in the rivers but I did like I did I think I got there the clubs that I was in both uh, Donegal and Lisbon Paddlers did loads of rivers with them Lisbon Paddlers went to Scotland with them I also would have sought out a lot of coaching. I do like to be coached. To this day, I still like to be coached. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of coaches like Oshin Hennessy and uh, Roger Hamilton and Ashley Hunter. I mean, they took me down, you know, rivers in the Alps, you know, grade four rivers. And something that I never thought I would have been able to do. And I'm not saying I was very good at it in the end. I did, I did get there. I took a fair few swims in my time. Um, but yeah river paddling it it is great it's exciting and I think I think sometimes when you go away to the Alps as well just the water seems brighter and the sun seems warmer and yeah it's a fabulous experience wonderful and then now you've transitioned from rivers to really loving the sea yeah I'm very passionate about the sea the transition was was really quite natural for me I'd had I'd had an incident in rivers that uh, I was pinned one time and while that didn't stop me river paddling it did I suppose let me seek out a bit other conditions where I could paddle and then my partner he's a sea paddler so I suppose and he didn't like me paddling rivers particularly after after the the time that I was pinned so I suppose it kind of drifted into sea naturally it wasn't something, I didn't make a decision, I'm not river paddling, I'm going sea paddling. It just kind of happened. I still have my river boat, even though I haven't been in it in about seven years. <laughs> and it probably will be there for a wee while yet. But yeah, sea paddling is fabulous. I mean, there is always water. Oh, you, yes. know, you don't you don't run, run out of water. It doesn't run dry. That's right. Well, there's a few sections that run dry when you time it wrong. <laughs> I can think of one last weekend, but um, generally there's enough water in the sea that you can paddle at any time. And even if you can't get out in the coast, you know, there's usually somewhere you can get, be it, you know, a sheltered flat water river or locks or lakes, you know, there's always somewhere you can go. You mentioned um, the incident where you got pinned. Do you care to share that one with us? I, it was um, it was more traumatic, I have to say, for the people that watched than for me. For some reason, it, it didn't startle me at the time. And I think it was because I was with such an expert coach that at no point did I think I wasn't going to make it. So we were on a training, if I mind rightly, I think it might have been, 
it was either a level one coach award or it was a four star leader award but we were on the training for it it was a small group we had an excellent coach with us we were at a very small small way or something that you would bring not complete beginners but introducing them to moving water introducing them to their first wee weir like I'm talking about a you know a very tiny wee weir and our instruction was just to have a look at that weir and tell me where you would guide people down it so the four or five of us that was in the group or maybe even five or six of us that was in the group just paddled along the top of the weir to see where we would take them down and just my boat just upended it just uh, the front of the boat went into the air and I got a look at Roger Roger Hamilton is the, is the coach that day I we eyeballed at each, each other he knew instantly I was in danger and I just got sucked in underneath upside down in mm. the water so uh, and I was pinned like there was no I, I couldn't figure out what way up was I couldn't figure out you know why I couldn't get out of my boat I couldn't it didn't make sense why I couldn't get the boat off me, you know, okay. and I couldn't get forward. I couldn't, be, so I was pinned in a cramped position, couldn't get forward to pull the deck. And I was in for two minutes, just over two minutes. Um, the only reason we really knew that was because my GoPro was going the whole time. It was completely black, obviously, but, but it was going for that length of time and they couldn't get the boat out. And I suppose a bubble at one point I thought, oh, I'm going to breathe here. And a bubble popped up my cheek and I realised then what way up was. And then a wee bit later, uh, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to breathe here. I'm going to I'm going to drown here. But I recalled a story that another amazing Donegal paddler, Edward Brockage, he had told me how one time he got pinned and he thought he was going to have to break his leg <laughs> to get out of the boat. But in his story, he was telling me about how people, when, when that's the situation and the water is so cold, you don't go brain dead very quick. You've got longer. So I thought, well, okay, we're minus five degrees. They can resuscitate me. I just hope my son's not watching because he was with us. And yeah, and just at that, I popped out and my son grabbed my arm and said, I've got her, I've got her. And apparently I blacked out then. And when I came to, I just remember telling Roger to get my son away from me that... He didn't look. He didn't look like he was very happy at the time. He could okay. see my face, and it it was awful for him. Like it was awful for him. It was awful for Roger. It was awful for everyone there. And I suppose that's my only feeling about it. Is when I think about it, is it was awful that the people there had to go through that because all the time I was going through it, I knew they were trying to get me. So I had everyone on my side, whereas they were. They were stuck in their own thoughts, yeah. you know, so it was very, very difficult time for them. And I came to and I had burst blood vessels in my eyes, my cheeks and my eardrums. Like everybody was obviously at the end of the paddle. Yeah. <laughs> no more paddling that day. Um, yeah, so that was. A, I suppose that, that's something about, you know, we, sometimes we don't think about the position the people around us are in if something goes wrong. You know, sometimes paddlers, we can go into things, you know, adrenaline rush things or float away for the group. And, you know, the, the paddler might be okay with saying, oh, I don't mind if something happens to me, that's my choice. But it's the people that's with you that sometimes has to pick up the pieces. So that can be a bit hard. And I know it was something I was very conscious of that day. And, you know, I would be aware of since that when, when I see somebody going into something that's really dangerous, I think, oh, God, you know, I hope I don't have to go home with this. Yeah. So, yeah, so how did that experience change you? 
uh, it made me a much stronger paddler. I actually realised that day that when the going gets tough, I can hold it together. I don't freak out. Okay. I can't freak out if it's something stupid, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I can have a drama about it. But, but yeah, that day sort of taught me that, um, yeah, it's if you can hold your head together in those situations, you can actually think about what to do. We've all heard stories. We've lots of learning in our head that we don't realize we have. And when we go through these situations, sometimes you don't know where the information has come from, but you just know what's the best thing that you can do in that situation that uh that revelation that you mentioned where you had that bubble come from your cheek and yeah you knew where that bubble went and that that alone gave you the indication of where up yeah. was yeah That's... and i can still but even when i when i say it when i'm talking to you now i'm i'm hitting the side of my cheek because i can still feel that bubble yeah. you know going up and, and like the thinking, you don't realize how fast your thoughts are. Like I can genuinely remember thinking I could drown, but it's minus five degrees. They might have, they can still get me out. They can resuscitate me. I just hope my son's not watching, yeah. you know. Um, and, and like the speed of those thoughts, like that's probably in fractions of seconds. So you mentioned that was a training trip. And, uh, and you have a pretty insatiable drive to better your skills. So tell us about your pursuit of training. Um, I just, I don't know if the Olympians can have a coach, so can I? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I suppose I never feel it's good enough. I always know what can get better. I'm not an expert paddler by any means. I have certainly done an awful lot better than what I thought I ever would. But it's because I really do love training and I love practicing and I love I love somebody telling me what's wrong with that stroke or how you could do it better or and, and from the beginning I, I suppose I would have a wee frustration with myself in that I don't accept second best in myself for a lot of things so I have to just keep trying and trying and trying okay. and and if I know you can if there's a possibility you can get better well then you just have to keep trying I would love to be, I would love to be one of these ones. Well, I don't know whether I would or not, but you know, these ones that can be really disciplined. Okay. You know, I have a, I have a few, a few admirers, the likes of Dave Hork and Joe Leach, John Willis, Freya, Hoffmeister, like those people, like the discipline they have in their training, you know, or their, you know, their eating regimes and the amount of exercise they do and what type of exercise. I'll never be that. Okay. I'm that disciplined, but just to get better to be better able to cope with a difficult situation that I might find myself in. And so that could be like the tide race or the bit of rough water or, you know, I'll avoid the surf landing at all cost. But yeah, I, th I think being coached means that you, you don't just accept doing something wrong. You, you're constantly trying to perfect it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've had some great influential coaches like, so I've been very, very lucky. Some of the clubs have wonderful coaches. Belfast Kayak Club, you know, Greg Miller there and uh, Will Brown, like they set up amazing training events. Greg Miller would have been one of the first to take me out and get me to do rescue practices in the middle of a bit of a tide race. Will Brown, like he was he was instrumental just in, in getting me to do downwinds. And, and like without that kind of coaching, I don't think I would ever have got as far as I got. Yeah. You know, and I don't claim to be great. I'm not I'm not far from it. I consider myself a very good intermediate paddler. But I suppose it's that idea that it doesn't matter what age you start at or how slow you are, 
you know, you can go as far as you want to go, you know, and if you're willing to take the coaching, join clubs, paddle with people who are good. And I don't mean don't paddle with people who are not good, but it's kind of like if you want to keep practicing and want to keep good, then you gotta you got to be out with people that can manage conditions so that you can go into those conditions as well. So it's it's not a case of paddling on the edge, but certainly paddling where you're constantly challenging your skill and perfecting Because if you don't use it, you definitely lose it. I know that's a bit of a cliche. But no, you're certainly right. I'm really, really lucky. I've got some great paddle buddies. A lot of them actually, even outside of Ireland, uh, some great paddle buddies in Scotland. There's, and some of them are older than me. And, and like they're amazing. There was one day last year, there was a group of us on the water and the average age was 69. Okay. And you should, like the conditions we were in, we were in four and five star conditions. Excellent paddlers, just absolutely excellent. You know, and there's a, there's a whole group of them and, and a whole group in Scotland. There's a girl called Joan Lamb. She's a retired GP and some of the, the, the groups that she leads and organises is amazing. Again, there's people in Wales, uh, Stephen Miles and Jan and Gary. Like there's just people all over the country that... You know, you can just go and paddle with, and I think that's part of it. It's the networking as well as the networking that you can do to get out more. Yeah. And, and, and you've certainly built that network. Uh, now, you mentioned that you consider yourself a very good intermediate paddler. So let's, let's kind of set the scale with that. What levels have you achieved? Um, just because you achieve levels doesn't mean you're always at them, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I did manage to get my Whitewater River Leader Award, so okay. that would be the old four star, but I would not claim to be anywhere near there now because, it, because I haven't been paddling rivers. I have managed to get my five star CCAG paddler, my, so it's the, now called the Advanced CCAG Leader Award, and I'm a NISCA guide, so that's the International CCAG Association. So yeah, I've got those now. A couple of years ago, yes, I was definitely paddling better than I think that I, where I'm at now, but that's just because I'm back at college and unfortunately sat at an office desk a lot of the time and not out paddling, so hopefully that will change this August all right. <laughs> when, it's well, all, when it's all over. But Well, congratulations on achieving those levels. There's an awful lot of effort that goes into achieving those levels and then, and then being able to maintain those levels, and I, I know yeah. that you put in a lot, a lot of time to do that. So. And I think, like, People don't need to to have these levels, but I suppose I kind of used it as a gauge of how was I improving, mm-hmm. you know. So for me, it was something that could be measured, you know. Can you do those strokes? Can you do it in that kind of conditions? Can you reach that standard? And if you did, then you've you've you know you've gained something. So it's almost like it's for me. It's it's not something that I need for my work because I don't. Kayaking's not part of my work at all, mm-hmm. but it was something that I could use as my own gauge of, am I getting better? We need more women in coaching. So what words do you have for other women consider- considering becoming a coach? Um, they can do it. Just literally just that. They can do it. And, and yes, we do need more women. But what I would say is we do have a lot of women in coaching. Mm-hmm. I just sometimes think that they're maybe not seen or heard or listened to. <laughs> A combination of all of that. I do think we actually do have a lot of women out there. And I do think it's starting to come through more because if you go to a symposium now, you will see more women as getting invited. Oh, absolutely. 
Like, I was very fortunate to be at the Iceland Symposium and assisting in that last year. And, like, that was amazing. And there was quite a, a few female coaches at it, which is wonderful. One of our own Irish paddlers, uh, Kiva Connors, was actually assisting and coaching in New Zealand uh, quite recently. So, like, there's, there is a lot of women out there. I just think that they're not maybe seen as much, and we need to push that a wee bit more. Absolutely. Now, you were featured by uh, British Canoeing and uh, in a... A feature on women and women and coaching is that correct? You have done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a few years ago. They were it was brilliant because well, I suppose both British Canoe and CAMI, which is the Canoe Association of Northern Ireland, and the um, Irish Canoe Body, both of them were promoting women. So for CAMI, they had like you were sort of a woman's representative, you know, sort of for the year, just where you were kind of trying to encourage other women into the sport and I suppose they did use me as I sort of see it as well if I can do it and really I say this to any woman out there seriously if I can do it anyone can do it because it just takes if you enjoy it it just takes that bit of effort to try. I've been very fortunate that uh, both the Canoeing Association of uh, Northern Ireland and the Irish Canoeing Association you know have been both very supportive of me which has been wonderful. That's fantastic. So what has been your most memorable training experience? Oh, that has to be. That's easy. Jeff Allen's rough water paddling. Okay. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, I first went to a symposium and attended one of his incident management training. And I was just amazed at the conditions that he could take people in and just know that he could manage this amount of chaos you know in rough water and that's what it is sometimes it just feels like that but it's so so organized great leadership great training it's literally it's incident management in advanced conditions he would sort of coach that there's no such thing as advanced incident management there's incident management and the advanced bit is in the advanced conditions so that's what we do. We do an awful lot of that practice. And he comes now to Ireland and we, we set it up. We've been doing it for quite a while now, uh, maybe once or twice a year. Well, we will do five days incident management. And it literally is practice, 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 doing rescues and scenarios in, in rough water conditions, you know. And that could be in tide races or surf or rock gardens. And it's excellent and it really builds confidence because when you get out of your boat in those conditions, you actually develop a lot more confidence. So yeah. I think it's very important to get into the rough water out of your boat to build that confidence. So yeah, I think that would definitely be my favorite training event. Yeah, I know that you've uh, been involved in several of those. Do you attend those as an attendee regularly or are you now uh, supporting those and coaching those with with Jeff? Um, no, I attend as an attendee I would do a lot of the organising and the facilitating it running. Yeah, I, I could facilitate in providing them, but there's a lot of other people around me. Um, we have a, a local Eco Adventures, a guy called Hugh Hunter. Like It's hoped that he will now start start providing that, that here because I think it's better for the people who are doing this as their business. Okay. To be able to provide this. Uh, personally, I honestly have no interest in it being like an earner for me or a, a money or a business okay. for me it's just a passion and it's an opportunity for me to get back into rough water so 
while I've attended it now several occasions and I'm happy to coach it in our own groups, I wouldn't be running it as a, as a business for myself. I prefer a lot of the locals to start providing it now. And now how many times have you attended that session, the incident management? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Well, he's coming to Ireland now maybe five years and once or twice a year. So probably I haven't been able to attend them all, but possibly eight or nine times. Okay. So that just goes to show that you know, you're you've you've achieved you know great success in terms of uh, in terms of those levels five star advanced sea leader um, as as a guide, but you're still attending that session, continuing to attend that session eight nine times and learning something else each time. Oh, totally. And you see, unless you're doing this regularly, there's no way you can do it properly. It's like driving a car. You know, if if you don't drive a car, you'll actually lose that skill. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we get better because we do it regularly. When we started doing driving lessons, we didn't just do one or two. You know, you kept driving and perfected it until you did your test. And the test really is, is when you're out paddling with a group and something happens. You know, that's the test. Have you actually learned this or not? And I've, I've been in some situations. I'm very open about anything that happens. I tend to post it at the risk of possibly a bit of backlash. But that to me is when you know that you've learned is when you've put something in practice that I've learned from one of these coaches, these courses. It's, it's benefited me now on a few times when things have happened. I've, I've literally, I've sent text, a few texts to Jeff saying, thank you. Yeah. You know, something, something else has happened and, and this has been the outcome and it's, yeah, it's great. And I, and I know lots of other people, like we're fortunate now, we've put maybe 50 people through incident management and advanced conditions training here in Ireland. We've had people coming from, well, all over Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, Falklands, Norway, Iceland, Sweden. So we've had people coming to these events from all over. And we've never had anything back saying, I'm sorry, I was at that. That was a waste of time. You know, <laughs> everybody has got, got stuff out of it. We've yeah. probably put maybe 15 to 20 people through CCAG Leader Awards or Advanced CCAG Leader Awards and the International Sea Kayak Guide Awards, both the coastal and the advanced. So it's, to me, it's really beneficial because it encourages other people then to do the same thing, you know, and I think there is more, there's certainly more talk about training and rough water training and, and incident management now than what there used to be. Well, congratulations on, on bringing that training to Ireland and, uh, and organizing it. Thanks to Jeff as well for coming because... You know, there's a lot, we do, we do have an awful lot of great coaches who could be pro- providing these in Ireland as well, you know, and it's just sometimes it's, it's been able to do it logistically-wise with all the other stuff that they have to do in their businesses, so. But there is, there's, there's a lot more training going on now than what used to be going on, which is great. So you've taken that training, and you have turned that into a pretty impressive record of long crossings between Ireland and Scotland. <laughs> mm. So tell me about your first crossing to Scotland. Uh, it was a bit of I wouldn't recommend it to everyone it was definitely done um, I'd, I had just lost my mother it was a very tough time for me and I suppose I just couldn't do people you know and I just wanted in my boat and I wanted a way I just wanted a way I know there's no logic in this so I wouldn't recommend anyone that this is how you start solo paddling I'd never solo paddled before this and I just thought I had paddled in groups to from between Dun. Donegadee and Port Patrick which is a 35k crossing I'd done it in groups maybe two or three times before that but I just wanted to go solo 
The day that it was to go, fabulous conditions apart from the fact we got to the slipway and it was just thick fog. You couldn't see uh-huh. 10 feet in front of you. So so that day was out. But So instead that day I still needed to get on the water and I paddled up and down Strangford Loch, which is an inland, sort of a, quite a long, it's 25 kilometres long. So I paddled up and down it and next day I set off for Scotland against my other halves. Better wishes. He's ever so good. I couldn't do any of this without him. He really is. He's he's so patient and yeah, I couldn't. He's so supportive in anything I've done. So yeah, so that was my first cross. And there's a there's a tide race there that kind of was my nemesis. It's called the Ram Race, and I just had a thing about it, and I was scared stiff of it. But I was out and I was crossing it, and I thought, oh my god, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And when I got past it, I thought, right, I might as well have done it now because that's the that's the worst part over and done with. And a couple of minutes later, next thing I heard this, and then I heard it again, and it was a, an orca, mm. so a, a killer wheel, and it was about 30 feet from me. Wow. And yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely, it was amazing. I remember ringing Desi, that's my partner, ringing him at the time and saying, I've seen a wheel, a wheel, and he's going, a wheel? Well, a wheel, are you all right? <laughs> like at the Coast Guard, no, it was a wheel. <laughs> you know, so. No, it was it was an amazing experience, and and I suppose I did get a great feeling out of that, and I sort of chatted to my mummy the whole way across, and yeah. um, she would have been given out to me for for doing it. I suppose it didn't, it did, it did scratch an itch, but I still needed more. So about two weeks later, I paddled then to the Isle of Man, and that that was a big one because that was fifty five k. I've never been on the Isle of Man other than at this particular time, so. I knew you could see it in the distance on a clear day, but there was a lot of this day where you couldn't see it, so you just paddled off, you know, hoping that your transit or your workings out navigation was right, and yeah, off I went. That crossing, uh, the first one, was that your first crossing or your first solo crossing? My first both. First both, wow, okay. Well, no, no sorry, not my first crossing. I'd crossed okay. a couple of times in a group, okay. but my first solo crossing. Okay. Yeah. And that was, if I heard you correctly, that was really on your your second solo paddle. Yeah, my second solo paddle. That's a big, big second solo. That is a big second solo. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where was uh, was that to and from again? That was from Donegadee, which is just south of Belfast, Mm -hmm. to Port Patrick, which is on the rounds of Galloway, just on the west coast of Scotland. And is that what's referred to as the North Channel? Yeah, so that's the North Channel. The North Channel is quite a quite a big area. So then, so that's usually referred to as the North Channel and the North Channel crossing. And then recently, I did uh, a crossing then from Northern Ireland to Isla, which is a island on the west coast of Scotland. It's fifty kilometers due north. Okay. <laughs> and a lot of tide races there, and a, a lot of. Uh, I suppose there there is hazards you have to make sure you avoid on that on that crossing. Okay, we'll get into that one in just a moment. Uh, just got another question about the other uh, the North Channel. You may have more recorded crossings of that North Channel in the Irish Sea than anyone. How many times have you made that crossing? I th- I'll be I have to be honest and say I don't entirely know. Okay, I definitely do it twice or three times every year and I did my first in 2013 I reckon I've done it probably somewhere between 20 and 25 times wow congratulations 
Yeah, no, it's been fun. I have to say it's been fun. And each time's different, you know. It's never, ever, ever the same. And it's always, like when I paddle solo, each crossing is different because I usually try maybe, you know, a different time of the tides and see what happens here. And there, there's a particular, there's a tide race runs off the west coast of Scotland and it's quite hard to time and there isn't specific details anywhere. And it sort of depends whether it's springs or leaps at what time of the tide it changes and... Yeah, I have a bit of fun trying to work that one out. Now, um, about how long, you said it was 35K, mm -hmm. and about how long does it take? My fastest is 4.27, I think, okay. but I haven't got under 5 in quite a while, so I think it could be a combination of the years and not trailing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or just deciding to just enjoy the experience. Yeah, oh no, I always enjoy it. I always <laughs> enjoy it. And there's always a wee personal challenge. It's, it's, I don't challenge against anyone. It's just wee personal challenges. Can you, can you do it? So have you done the crossing, the North Channel crossing there and back at the same? Yes, I have. There was one crossing that I did with Will Brown and a group, well, a group of us paddled over and I was just desperate to paddle back. So I hounded him over the lunch. Please, 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 please. <laughs> and I eventually gave in and we paddled back. Uh, so we paddled over and back in one day. Wow. We went over, had lunch and paddled back again. And it was amazing. And on the way back, he paddled so far away from me because he copped on that my paddling slows down terribly if I talk. Okay. <laughs> so we paddled out of chatting distance. <laughs> and there was one part where we were coming back in, the light was low. Uh, it was uh, definitely getting on for dark at this stage. And he he says to me, he says, can you see the lights of Bangor looking up to, our, to the north, up to our, our right? I says, yeah, 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 I see them. So we paddled maybe 10 minutes more. He says, can you see them now? I says, yeah, 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 I can see them. And he goes, yeah, they're not moving. In other words, I was, my arms were going round, but it was, they weren't doing anything. So, and the tide was pushing us back out. So I, I had to dig deep for the last couple of kilometers and get uh. into shore. But it, yeah, great memories. There's not that many people that can say that they paddled to Scotland for lunch and then came home at, at night. Exactly. I do like that story. <laughs> now, you mentioned earlier that you uh, last year had added a new crossing to the performance seakayak.co.uk list to Isla. So tell us about that one. That's right. Yeah, that was. I've been looking at that one for, for a few years and just sometimes I have to think, think, think about something and build up the courage to do it because uh, just a lack of maybe faith in myself or trust in my abilities or my planning. So I'd looked at it for a couple of years. I had put out lots of feelers and words with people to say, come on, if you're thinking about it, let me know because I, I really, really want to go. And nothing was coming back. Nobody was coming back to me and saying that they, they were going or thinking about it. So I seen a, a window off. There was a couple of weeks of good weather coming up and I'd already worked it out and worked it out loads of times. So I originally wanted to go from a place called Merlot, which is just east of Fairhead on the top northeast corner of Ireland and paddle straight to Isla. But I, I kind of at the time was advised against it. So then I I went from Ballantoy. But there's a lot of tides there and there's a lot of tide races. Um, you've got Rathlin Island in between and you've got, it's a very complex area. There's tides coming from all directions and different parts of every hour you will get a tide race on one of those corners and then approaching Isla there's very bad tide races that runs it off and when I was going I was planning to go on an ebbing tide 
so everybody kept saying, oh, watch, the, watch that rhyme, that tide race off Isla um, on an ebb and tide. You can't get caught. So this was in my head. So I, I did a plan where I went far east. And I mean, like the track. When I look at the track, I know I did a track to be sure, to be sure, to be sure that I wasn't <laughs> going to be anywhere. Like I paddled so far east to avoid any tide races. And that, that crossing was six and a half hours. You know, I set off, I set off twice and turned and came back on two different days. And then on the third day, I went for it and did it and managed it. And it was wonderful. I arrived in and didn't quite know where I was going to land. I was getting a lift back and I knew the, the boat I was getting a lift back in was going to be in a particular bay, but I wasn't quite sure which bay that I was going into. And Isla is well known for their whiskey. Um, okay. So I ended up landing at a whiskey distillery and they arrived out with this tray of sample whiskeys <laughs> to me. I'm not a whiskey drinker at all. but So anyway, I thought I'll take a sip and it was 58% proof oh. and nearly killed me. <laughs> you know, Yeah, so I uh, went over, stayed the night, camped. The people of Isla are absolutely lovely and so welcoming and... Just everyone was coming up and talking and asking about the crossing, and it was a, to be honest, it was a wonderful feeling. I have to say, I, 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 I'm still really enjoying the, the feeling of of the crossings to Isla. So, other than the distance, uh, what made this one so different? It's out there in the middle of nowhere. Like it has, so this is also part of the North Channel. The North Channel sort of goes up and around the top of Ireland, and. It's further, it's got more complex tides, there's less, uh, tra- there's less vessels on it, there wouldn't be as many sailing boats, or it's just way out there. Okay. You know, it, it is a significant cross, and, and like, if you miss Isla, or if you get caught in any of those tide races, like, you're not going to be drifting towards any land anytime soon. So there's some serious navigation along with that one, some serious yeah, uh, some tide races yeah. to, ne- to negotiate. Yeah, there's a lot of planning now that goes into mine. And, and, I, and I don't trust a lot of my planning. Like I plan it, plan it, and then I plan it again. And if there's any difference in it, then I'll plan it again. <laughs> yeah, I do put an awful lot of thought and time into, into planning something that I'm doing solo. So what recommendations would you have for someone who's considering making a crossing in terms of making their planning process? I think lots of training, lots of paddling in groups, I think, initially. Not being afraid of incidences. I think it's important that we learn to cope with incidences and practice dealing with incidences. So I think if you're going to, if you're going to paddle in groups, then paddle in groups and have group plans and have good leadership in the group and have that leadership known and identified before you ever leave the shore. If you're going to paddle solo, then I think you need to have, well, one, the gear. So I would always carry VHF. I have a PLB. I now also have a tracker. So for the Isla Crossing, it was Jeff that actually suggested it. He says, well, would you not think about having a tracker now if you're going to do this one? So, yeah, I think you have to have the equipment. I generally carry two of everything as well. So I'd have two phones and two VHFs. Again, it's just in case one fails. I would recommend people kind of know what they're getting into. A lot of people will ring me up and say, I'm thinking of going over to Scotland, you know, when do you think I should go? And like, I'll never give anyone advice about what time they should get on the water or, you know, whether they should do it in springs or neaps because people need to know that they can plan it and that if they don't get there when they think they're going to get there, they need to know what's happening on the hours either side of that. 
they need to know about weather and, and, and following the trend of weather in the days beforehand and the days after because it frequently changes. And yeah, I think you have to be kind of, I say sure of what you're doing, but then very often I'm not sure. It's difficult. I can't recommend people to go solo paddling either. I think if people want to do it, then they need to practice and they need to learn the risks and, and be prepared for that. It's yeah. a wonderful it's a wonderful experience. I love solo paddling. I love expeditioning. I'm probably more scared of surf landings than I am of doing a crossing. Okay. You know, so Interesting. I, I think yeah, I think people need to know their abilities and and be honest about their abilities. I think some people sometimes can be overconfident in their abilities. Oh, I agree. Yeah. yeah, and I I definitely will never be accused of being overconfident. <laughs> <laughs> So on that trip, I heard there was a misadventure possibly involving undergarments. <laughs> yeah, that was the second cross, and that was quite funny. <laughs> so, so two weeks later, the, the weather was still good, so I decided I was going again to Isla. And there was quite a good, there was a really good three, four-day window, and I thought, oh my gosh, I can go over and actually paddle it around it this time. So I got on the phone to see if anything did go wrong. It did give very good weather. Uh, I can't paddle it in hot weather on my own because I would risk heat failure so I can get heat exhaustion and I can collapse if if it's you know too much I'm a bit of a, an Irish redhead so I, I usually have a lift organized back when I do some of these trips just in case I don't want to paddle back and on this particular occasion I'd run and yeah 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 we have a lift back for you so that was great but in the phone call he said he says no there was a three meter swell running last night and the forecast hadn't given a three meter swell run on the night before. So I started to get a bit cautious. So I took a walk along the shore and I would have been looking out at some of the tide races and going, oh, it looks okay. I think I can do that. So headed back to the get in and I, this time I hadn't told anyone other than Jeff Allen. I would consider him not just a good friend, but a really good mentor. So I, I told him what I was planning to do and my other half knew they were both going to be tracking me. And uh, so I got on the phone to him while I'm getting ready and getting in the boat. And I says, right, I need to go. I have to go now. I'm getting on the water. So he, he wished me good luck. And off I went. And halfway across the, the this Irish Channel. And and next thing I think, I don't think I put my tent or my clothes in the boat. <laughs> so, so I'm halfway across. And then I realise my money's in, the, in them bags and everything. Everything. Oh, no. So my tent, my sleeping bag my change of clothes my undies everything <laughs> was in these bags and I could see them sitting on the grass uh, yeah. you know where I took them out of the car so anyway I got over there and I rung the guy that was going to give me a lift back and I, he says oh Katrina I'm really sorry he says that guy that was going back he says and I, I know this might sound funny but he had passed away uh, way back but right. nobody had told him nobody had told the, this fella that uh, he was cancelling the trip and that he was no longer around and we're not going now. So here I was in Isla, no money, no clothes. And I'm very, I'm very independent person, so I don't like asking for help. But I had no choice. So I had to start going around all these sailing boats, you know, saying, any chance you should come back to Ireland? Or, you know, I'm kind of here and I've no money and I've no tent. And, you know, and I'm standing there and I'm in neoprene trousers and a, and a, and a long sleeve rash vest. And I'm sort of saying, I don't even have any knickers with me. <laughs> <laughs> so it became a and, and there I like I'm embarrassed with every time I had to tell the story but I had I had a laugh with it because it was kind of 
it was kind of comical at the same time. And eventually this lovely couple, well, quite a few of them had offered me to stay, but I was kind of uncomfortable. But this one couple, I just took to straight away. And she heard my story and she arrived up to me with this bag with a change of clothes in it, with a pair of shorts, toothbrush, knickers, shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, now she says, they're a bit big, they're a bit Bridget Jones. She was, she was slightly bigger than me. And I literally, I had to use a carabiner to keep the shorts up. <laughs> um, it was just, it was just an unbelievable evening. And somebody else on the island, he arrived down and gave me 300 sterling. And he says, don't be stuck for money. He says, you might need to pay for a lift home. If you do, there's money. You can give it back to me again. I had people coming up to me with homemade cake the next day. Oh. Uh, so I stayed, I stayed on their sailing, sailing boat that night, a wonderful couple from Glasgow. And they were leaving the next day, and then I was taking up my position to watch every sailing boat coming in and out for a lift home the next day. Okay. And I had another woman who made this amazing fruit cake, this whiskey fruit cake, to bring it up to me to celebrate my cross. And I was, so there you go, Bridget. We we called them the Bridget Jones knickers, <laughs> <laughs> and they really were. You could talk talk quite a bit in. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, an interesting time. And you ended up with a fantastic story with it as well. Exactly. And, yeah. and like, I'll never forget. I'll never forget those people, you know. And I'll never forget that feeling of being totally and utterly humbled at having nothing and everybody being so kind, you know. And I mean, I had nothing. Like, I literally, yeah. you know, I, I did have my phone, um, okay. which was big because I could ring the other half. And, you know, but there's not much. Like, I didn't have any bank cards or anything with me. So yeah. there's not much you can do with with that when you're in another country. Well, you have had so many amazing adventures in so many different places. And out of curiosity, what has been your favorite place in the world to paddle, other than Ireland? It would be probably two places that are hard to differentiate. Lofoten Islands is amazing, mm-hmm. um, and, and Alaska. Both of those places, Alaska, um, I suppose I can thank Jeff for that, because... He first introduced me to expedition paddling. I joined one of his trips, and I'd recommend that kind of trip to anyone, but just where you paddle off into the wilderness, and you're away from people, and you're away from buildings, and everything that that we strive, that we consider, this is what we've succeeded in because we've got a house and we've got all these belongings, but there's nothing nicer than waking up in the woods and, and hearing the wind and the trees and, you know, whales blowing you know literally feet from your tent so yeah so uh, Alaska for that and Lofoten Lofoten's amazing it's completely different landscape but again a lot of that coastal getting away from it there's a lot of isolated islands you know the trees just amass on all the islands um, beautiful beaches like I, I've paddled, I've circumnavigated most of the islands now off the Lofoten Bar a couple of wee bits and it's just, I go back every year, two wonderful paddlers there, um, Odd Crane and Jan Anglish, um, he would actually be the author of the Lofoten Guide mm-hmm. and they, like, they have been amazing to me every time I've gone. They have excellent equipment, it's Lofoten Act- Active is their, their business, they have an amazing equipment, they're very accessible. You know, you can fly into a place called Tromsø or, or Narvik, and they're very close. And I think a lot of people think Nor- Norway's a bit too hard to get there, too far away, but two flights. You know, you fly to Oslo and straight up, and, and they're there to get you after that. It's, and it's an amazing place to paddle. And 
you know, if you go from September onwards, you know, the, the Northern Lights, that's just... Spectacular. That's just spectacular, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like even, you know, there was one night I can remember when myself and my partner was there, we were lying in the tent and you could actually see the sky dancing through the tent. Fabulous. Yeah. So what's one place that you would like to paddle that you've not been to yet? I think the Inside Passage and Vancouver. I was hoping to go there in the last few years, but I suppose with everything that had gone on, it was impossible to travel. But yeah, definitely, I'd like to do the full length of the the Inside Passage okay. uh, from Vancouver the whole way up. And I'd like to go around Vancouver. I'd like All to right. go around Kodiak again. I was there with Freya Hofmeister. That's another beautiful island. Well, what is what is next for you? At the minute, unfortunately, I'm back at college, even though I'm about to retire. Um, okay. I'm, I'm back at college, and it has it's definitely limited me. So it's limited to me staying closer to home. So I'm, I'm hoping to paddle more of the islands of Ireland this year, and um, I want to do a lot more of the islands of Scotland. The west coast of Scotland's amazing. And hoping to go to Lofoten in the last week in August and first week in September. I tend to not make long distance plan. Okay. You know, I just look at the weather and think, oh, there's an opportunity and just disappear for a week or two. That's how I like to do it. <laughs> but there's lots of places like that I want to go to. So this has been fantastic. It's been a wonderful having a chance to talk to you and, and hear about your amazing adventures over the years and, and uh, the places that you'd like to go to in the future as well. So I certainly appreciate that. How can listeners reach you and learn more? Um, either through Facebook. Unfortunately, I'm not very good on Instagram, but Facebook... Right. Uh, is probably a good place or my email is just katrinawoodscbt at gmail.com all right well i will be sure to put that in the show notes uh, for this episode so folks can make the connection to you and uh, if they want to learn more about the crossings and maybe they're thinking of their own crossings or just want to learn more about paddling in ireland they can reach out to you or oh, they want to learn about incident management and taking any of the programs that you support yeah no definitely if anybody wants to get in touch and if anybody's fancies paddling i definitely recommend paddling come up to the north you know come towards donegal in northern ireland it really is stunning favorite place in ireland to paddle donegal okay and and several sections of it like we have an amazing coastline there's a sleeve to and iron moors probably two of the most spectacular we have amazing arches and caves like caves you can get 15 20 people in them sea arches and sea stacks and rock gardens and we really do have it all we have amazing beaches you know beautiful places to camp and and there is there's a, there's a wonderful guides here we have uh, two guides that um would have access to boats and that to rent out as well so you know we'll be getting in touch with the likes of eco adventures uh hugh hunter and adrian harkin from Anish adventures so lots of opportunities here for people to come and paddle well, one final question for you, and that is, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? I give this a wee bit of thought because there's, there's quite a few people. You, you've talked to a lot of people that I would already consider, you know, big and influential, the likes of Dave Horkin and, and Joe Leach. But there's one person who has been very influential for me. He's an amazing character. He's uh, Des Keeney. So you, you might have heard of him. He would have been a top coach in Ireland's five-star paddler. He run a very successful sea kayaking business in Dublin. Retired from that now, but since his retirement, he has become, in my eyes, even more inspirational. 
he has lost his eyesight almost completely in the last three years through a degenerative disease. He's uh, recovered from cancer and gone through significant treatment for the cancer and suffered all the fatigue and, and side effects of all the treatments that you can. And despite those challenges, he is now bringing himself through paddling back kayaking solo on a lake and using his phone and a, some kind of software on his phone to help navigate around the islands. So he's... He's a very inspirational man, like he's paddled in many parts of the world before and has done many challenges while he was a coach and sea kayak guide and provider. But even since that, in the last three years, what he has achieved has been amazing. Him and, and his wife, Sonia, uh, another an amazing paddler. But yeah, I definitely think you would really enjoy talking to Des and I really look forward to hearing that conversation. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I will... Uh, connect through you to to Des, and uh, you, know, you mentioned that he's been an inspiration to you, um, and I think you know you have been an inspiration to so many people as well. And uh, I'm certain that you know, our guests will enjoy listening to your conversation. And thank you very much for all that you do to support paddling, and uh, keep on going. Oh, thank you very much, John. It's been a lot easier than I thought it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, thank you very much, and it's it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Katrina's message that you can do anything you set your mind to with personal dedication and the support of those around you is truly inspiring. She was so gracious in naming so many people who helped her develop skills, which led her to some really amazing experiences. It took some convincing to bring her on the show, and I'm really glad that she took the time. And those crossings, what a record with some really fun stories, too. Thanks again to our partners Level 6 and Online Sea Kayaking for extending special offers to you. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other kit, visit level6.com and use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout to get 10% off your order. Visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com to take advantage of the great video programming from James and Simon and other talented guests, including previous guests of Paddling the Blue. Enter the code PTBPODCAST at checkout and get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. In our next episode, we'll talk with a recommendation from Daniel Carr. John Huth is a Harvard physics professor, a paddler, and an author of the book The Lost Art of Finding Your Way. We'll talk with John about what inspired him to write the book and how it can benefit you. Until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. 
And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.